Today we are going to um, be in the primary passage we're going to look at is Genesis 1, um, 26 through the end of the chapter. So if you're following along in your own Bible, you can go ahead and, and turn there. And we're going to pray for, <coughs> read and pray for the text here in a second. But I just want to um, mention this in light of the events that happened in uh, Texas this last week of the church. I, uh, I just want to um, assure you all that we have a security Um, system in place, but in light of those events, I think it's caused all churches to reevaluate, kind of put those under the the microscope to make sure that we're doing everything possible um, to uh, provide the the level of protection that we can in in a church. And in light of us going into a new building in a couple of months, um, we're going to begin talking and and coming up with with a better plan and a more robust security system as we get into that new building. So I just wanted to assure you guys that um, that, that, is, uh, that is happening. Um, and so let me pray for the text, and I'm going to also pray for our brothers and sisters in Texas. So, Father, we thank you for <laughs> this time, and um, as we uh, dig into your word this morning, we look at this passage of scripture, just pray that um, it would transform our minds change how we think, it would change our beliefs, change what we feel, it would change how we live as a result of hearing the text this morning and looking at the text, and that it would change the way we live as we leave this place. So change us as a result of um, your word this morning, Lord. And we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Texas and just pray for this, (coughs) for everyone in this town. And I pray that your presence would be very, very tangible with them right now. And I pray, as as many people have done in that area, I pray people would rally around and um, serve them and love them through this difficult time. And that your love would be made known um, yeah, through this awful, awful, horrible tragedy that's happened. That it's very close to home, being that it is that it happened in a church. Um, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, all around the country and the world, there are churches celebrating something called Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday, and this is um, something that um, that organizations have come together and kind of deemed this Sunday every year as Orphan Sunday. And it's, it's called Orphan Sunday, but is, it is really broader than that. It's, it's the, the day where we come together and kind of go back to the scriptures and look at what the scriptures have to say about caring for vulnerable children and, and really being made aware again or reminding ourselves, being reminded that there is a major crisis going on in our world when it comes to children and the fact that we need to to remember and to know what the Bible says about this issue, but to also be aware of how we potentially can get involved and how can we respond in light of what we hear on this day. And every, every year for the past six years, we've observed Orphan Sunday and we've talked about it. And we're going to do that again this morning. We're going to take a break from, from Romans and, and dig into that. But we're going to take a, different, a little bit of a different angle than we normally would. We're going to not only look at the issue of vulnerable children, but we're going to zoom out and really kind of look at um, what the Bible has to say about issues of, 
of ethics and justice and civil rights and these kinds of things. And, and where do we get the foundation and where do we get the, <laughs> the motivation to be able to engage these issues? Because um, vulnerable children and the, the, all the issues surrounding that are kind of fall under this, this banner of, of justice and, and caring for the vulnerable and the marginalized. And that goes way beyond just children, although obviously it does include children. And so we're going to look at um, the text today and the scriptures and, and, and really ask the question, what does this have to do with biblical justice and human rights? But first, I want, I want us to just be aware of how many times and how often the Bible refers to or commands us to, to be called to care for the vulnerable, care for the marginalized, and really the calling on a Christian's life. So if you are a Christian here and you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to read these passages really quick, and this is the calling that we have on our life. We'll start with Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Leviticus 19.33 and 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in this land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, kind of talking uh, towards racism. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And then here's Jesus talking about this idea of, I think, um, engaging the brokenness in our world. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people one from another, as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you also did it to me. It was very clear from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures. God's, God calls us, God calls his people to be a people who seek justice. Who, who, who want to see God's mercy kind of work itself out in all of the world. But why? Like why are we called to do that? What's the foundation behind um, God telling us to be about these things. And this is where we're going to get to the text we're going to look at today. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them, have a, let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we'll stop there. This is what we're going to really focus on today. So I'm not exaggerating. When I say the truth contained in 
these two verses is foundational for how we live as Christians and how the, the, the church defines its work and what God calls us to in this life. This isn't a, a fringe doctrine where we can kind of agree to disagree or talk about every once in a while just to remind ourselves. This is vastly important to what we do. It's very, very important to understand this teaching and to really allow this teaching to form and shape how we think and how we act in this world as followers of Jesus. So we're going to look at three things this morning in light of this passage. First, we're going to look at what's, what does it mean to be created in God's image? What does that mean when it says created in the image of God? So that's first. Second, we're going to look at what the implications of this truth are in our world. So I think there are a lot of implications because it's so foundational. And third, we're going to talk about how can we practically respond to um, what God is calling us to respond to um, at the end of our time today. So let's look at this passage, a few key things, especially in verse 26. The verse starts out with, then God said, he says, let us make man. Okay, so let us make man. So this is a strong clue here when, when the plural is used there. Let us is referring to the Trinity. Because no other um, created being was around at this time in the, the, the human creation narrative. Okay? Nothing was around but God. And so God says, let us, that's plural, so it must be talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit together conversing, talking about creating man. Okay? And by the way, when I, for, when I say man today, that the scripture in this passage uses that to refer to all of humans, humankind. And so I'm going to use that because this passage um, uses that word man. So how are we created? He says, let us make man in God's image and after our own likeness. In God's image and after our likeness. Is God saying that? Our likeness, his likeness. So the author uses two words here. Okay, two words to convey, I think, a, a big idea. Obviously, the image and likeness. Image and likeness. And I think one of the helpful ways, especially when we're talking about this idea of image, is to think of reflection. To think of re reflection, and, and I think you think when you think of reflection, I think we should think of a mirror. So imagine a mirror, and, it, and its job, <coughs> the mirror's job is to most accurately reflect the thing standing in front of it. The thing standing in front of it. It's supposed to accurately reflect that thing, that person, to give an accurate representation of the thing that stands in front of it. Okay. So imagine me standing in front of a mirror. That mirror is going to show what I look like, and it's going to be very, very accurate on that. When you see that mirror and my reflection in it, you're going to say, oh, that's Jeremy. But if you walked up to the mirror and kind of poked where my face is, in the mirror, you're going to feel glass, because that reflection is not me. It's just representing me very, very well. Same way with, with God, that we image God. We look like God to some degree. We share some of his characteristics but we are not God, nor we are little gods. Okay, so there's a distinction there. We reflect him, but we, not, we aren't him. So this means, what the implication of this, getting into the implication, this means that every human being, unborn or born, is created in the image of God, in his likeness, to, to look like God, to reflect God, to have an essence of God in them. Think about that. Think about that. Our Creator God, huge, 
majestic. And he says to humans, I want you to reflect me. I'm going to make you after my likeness. And he doesn't say this about anything else he created. If you look to read the rest of chapter 1, the plants, sun, the moon, the light, the dark, the animals, doesn't say anything about being created in his image. This, 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 the way he made us, the way he designed humans, it's just for us. It's only for us. I'm going to show a few pictures to further get this point across. I want you to just look at these. Think. That's all, but I'm guessing you wish that there were more, right? You could just sit there and look at those things all day, probably. Um, and when we look at those things, we marvel. Those are beautiful things. Those are amazing pictures that are being taken. But the Bible tells us that nothing, none of those things compares to a man or a woman created and designed by the Creator God. That first picture of the solar system zoomed out and seeing all the stars and all the galaxies and the color and realizing some of those tiny little dots are, are stars and, and planets bigger than Earth, the one we're on, and just how that just blows your mind that how big God is. And the scripture tells us that that whole galaxy is not worth as much as one human being because the human being was made to reflect an image God. And you can start to try to nail down, okay, what makes us different from animals? What makes us different from mountains? What makes us different from trees? And start saying, well, it's this that makes us different, or it's this that makes us different. And, and that's, that's fine to do, but it's going to be really hard to nail down a list that differentiates us from all of those other things. But the primary reason we are different is the way we were created and who we were created by. Okay? We were created by God to image him. And we were given value and worth because we were created by him to image him. Not based off of what we do, not based off of, 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 of where we're from, but because that God made us and he fashioned us and he made us after his own image and likeness. We have souls, something other things don't, don't have. This is why every human being should be treated with dignity and respect and love and value. So here's the deal, and I want all of you to listen to me. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you're at, what you struggle with, what your story is, what you're struggling with now, how you view yourself. I'm telling you the scripture says you are valuable and you are worthy and you deserve dignity and respect, not based on what you do, but based off of who you were created by and how, you were, and how you were created. That's what gives you value and dignity and reason why you should be respected. So if you're questioning that, like, do I really have worth? Am I, am I really valuable? Yes, the scripture says you do because you are made in the image of God. And that picture of the galaxy was not made in the image of God. It wasn't. It's beautiful. It points us to God. But it was not made in the image of God, period. We have, as humans, we have the only part of creation is made in his image. Okay? And being made in his image, our identity is actually connected to what he's calling us to do. We notice there in verse 26, he talks about us having dominion over, um, we'll read it, verse 26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all. 
all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God creates us, creates the, the world, and then he gives us responsibility. He gives us these things to steward, to take care of, to watch over, to name, all of these things. And he, he, he says, he gives us this aspect of creation. He says, take care of it. See that it flourishes. Extend the garden throughout the world. Take the Garden of Eden and extend it throughout the world. This is why some things like work, things we consider mundane, these were designed by God. This is part of us having dominion over the earth. Our jobs are. Okay? The mundane. Other things like having children, creating art, discovering new breakthroughs in science, having political and economic order. All of those things are given to us as humans to cultivate, to, 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 to nourish the world and to see the world flourish under our care, under our stewardship. And as we do these things, we go about these things, we honor and give glory to God. And as we do these things, God's character, his wisdom, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, it, it, it comes through us in these things as we do these things. We, we can be holy just as God is holy. Not to the degree, but we can be holy. We can show mercy. We can have wisdom. We can execute justice in the world. These are things, parts of God's character that he's given to us that allow us to image him throughout the world so that the world may flourish. And that's, I think, the purpose of this doctrine is that the, we're made in the image of God. We're given dominion so that the world may flourish. So the flourishing of the world, not just in the church, but outside the church, is directly connected to the doctrine of being made in the image of God. And this is where I think this, this doctrine, this idea of us being made in God's image, is also one of the, the best proofs for the existence of God. It's one of the best proofs for the existence of God. Because if I'm talking to someone, and maybe some of you in this room are not followers of Jesus, or, or you're, you're atheist, or, or whatever, I would ask you the question... Where do you get your grounds? Where do you get your reasoning for how you treat other people? If you want to love other people, see other people flourish, I'm sure most of us in this room would say, yes, we want to do that. Why do you want to do that? Where do you get the grounds to be able to say, yes, that's what I believe we're supposed to do as human beings? Because if, a human, if, if human life was originally created by a group of particles bouncing around that, that bam, created life, then that means we're... Just particles put together, kind of human being that put together made human beings particles. And when we die, those particles will go back and will become dust. So if that's, if that's the creation narrative you're playing by, then why, why help other people? If you've got 70 or 80 years at best here, live it up. Do what you want to do. Because you're going to go to dust and, and nothing else is going to happen. So the end goal should be, Make, make much of this life. Get you yours. Don't worry about other people. It's hard with that narrative of creation to really have the grounding to love other people well. What about another angle? What about this idea of evolution or survival of the fittest? Survival of the fittest was all built around some humans being better than other humans, and those groups of humans survived, and other groups of humans fell by the wayside or other... <coughs> Creatures fell by the wayside. So why would that change today? If that's the creation narrative, then it's, it's still a competition. Your, your flourishing is dependent upon you being better than other humans to be able to thrive and succeed. 
if that's the creation narrative you're coming from. So if that's the narrative, how can you also say it's good to love other people when really you got here, you exist today because somehow you fought off the other creatures to be able to get to this point. So the point is, is do, do, does your creation narrative, I think believing in the God of the Bible and us being created in his image actually has a direct impact on how we view other humans and giving our foundation for loving other human beings. Tim Keller in his book, um, uh, the, uh, I, can't, I lost the new book, um, Making Sense of God. Thank you. Making Sense of God. Um, I remembered in the first service, not in this one. He says this in this book, kind of along these lines. If we, are, if we are just a decaying piece of matter in a decaying universe and nothing more significant than that, how does it follow that we should live, live a life of love towards others? It doesn't. Why, should we live as selfish, why shouldn't we live as selfishly as we can get away with? How do beliefs in individual freedom, human rights, and equality arise from or align with the idea that human beings came to be what they are? through survival of the fittest? They don't, really. French philosopher Jacques Derrida, um, popular philosopher, <coughs> self-proclaimed atheist, said this about this idea. It says, today, the cornerstone of international law is the sacred, the sacredness of man as your neighbor, made by God or by God-made man. In that sense, the concept of crime against humanity is a Christian concept. And I think there would be no such thing in the law today, without the Christian heritage, the Abrahamic heritage, and the biblical heritage. And you have Frederick Nietzsche talking about the idea of, of this, this idea of human beings made in the image of God. Another philosopher, very atheist, said God is dead. That guy he says, another Christian concept, no less crazy. Listen to what he's about to call crazy. The concept of equality of souls before God, this concept furnishes the prototype of all theories of equal rights. So you can, you can imagine this conflict that Nietzsche is having when he's saying these things. Like these, all these things, being good to others, they have their root in a Christian faith, which I don't believe in, Nietzsche would say. But yet, these are things that we all as humanity think we should do good. We should do good to others, be kind to our fellow human, human being. But he thinks the idea of God is crazy, so he's having a tough time reconciling. Yes, these can, things come out of the Christian faith, the biblical worldview, um, yet that's not what he believes. So he's basically being honest. Nietzsche is saying, hey, these things have their root in the, in the Bible. But I don't believe in the God of the Bible. So he has, you can tell he has this internal conflict here. Now, I don't think many of us in this room, if we we're just thinking, I think we would all be on the same page. And I'll give you an example. I'm a huge dog person. Those of you who know, know me, like, there's not another... Not a bigger dog person than me. I love dogs. And in the last three years, we've had to put two of our dogs down um, because they, they were old and stuff started happening. We had to put them down. Now, even that phrase, put them down, if I was to say, my aunt, she's not the same she used to be. You know where I'm going with this. You know, I just, we just took her to the, the, the hospital and we put her down. Like, are you, like you, you would... You would say that I'm barbaric, like you would call the cops on me, accuse me of murder, right? And so we get this intuitively, like we have this hardwired into us that a human being deserves this, and we treat animals different, even though I love me some dogs, they don't deserve the same dignity and respect as a human being does, period. 
Uh, no matter how much you like dogs, we don't we don't say, hey, when when a when a human being is kind of, eh, they're not themselves, you know, like they're getting old. It's probably better off for them if we just end it now. Like, no, we don't do that. We don't do that with human beings. And I think that points to there's something kind of hardwired into us that says <coughs> this, this human being, this, this creation of God is set aside. It deserves a different kind of dignity and respect. And so with all that being said, I think this, this idea should impact the way we view the world. And so I'm about to run through um, a handful of, 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 I think, relevant issues that I think um, thinking about the image of God, if we kind of see that through the lens, these things through the lens of the image of God, I think it forms how we view <coughs> these kinds of things. We'll start off with abortion. Okay, seeing an unborn child in the womb as an image bearer of God, with the same deserving the same worth and dignity and respect as an adult, will change the way you view that pregnancy. Will change the options you have. In that pregnancy, if you view that unborn child as an image bearer of God, that the child is more worthy of love and value than that picture of the, the galaxy, it changes the way you view pregnancy. And kind of along these lines, I'll say once you just start defining personhood and humanity by um, does someone have a, a, a moral capacity to make a decision? Or do they, have, um, do they have the ability to make choices? Or can they be a fully functioning human being in society? Once you start saying that's what determines what a human is, you, start, you slowly start to segment groups of the population off from normal human beings. And then it kind of gives you th those, those groups of people lose their protection that society should give them, and it makes them borderline expendable. Uh, populations, if that was the defining part of who a human is, what a, what a human was, you have, you have populations like the unborn, the elderly, those with mental disabilities, and, and many others. So if you start defining humans in this way, you start to have to draw these hard lines of who is really valuable and worth dignity and who is not. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to start going. And you take that to its logical conclusion, if you play that out, you get Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. If that, that's, that's what you get if, if you play that out, that there's a certain kind of person that is right and all the other kinds of people are wrong and we're going to protect these people and not really protect these people. So people need to be, deserve protection um, in healthy societies. And I think what the image of God does is it gives, us a, it gives us clarity, and we don't have to come up with these subjective lines of who's valuable and who's not. Who's not. All human beings have the same value, period. It's right here. And so now, if that's our view going into these issues, it helps us, I think, frame these things and think about these things better. Let's take racism. Martin Luther King Jr. appealed to the Bible, and he grounded the civil rights movement in this idea of, of us being <laughs> created in the image of God using this word of inalienable rights given to us by our creator. Again, if you don't use the image of God to shape your view of race, then whoever's the dominant race in that people group or country, they will begin to make the laws, they will begin to make sure they're protected, and all the other minority races will lose protection. They will lose respect, they will lose their dignity. Because if this one race thinks they're 
better or, 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 or above or deserves more <coughs> um, opportunity than these other races, you get racism. Once again, the image of God, racism, it's gone. It's gone because we're all image bearers of God. Um, another example um, is, is gender. Is gender. Two things we see in this passage concerning gender. First, in verse 27, you see that, that there were two distinct genders built into the crea- to, to being made in the image of God. God said, you have male and you have female, and that is, that's, the, that's the image of God. Somehow males and females perfectly represent enough to be saying, this is what it looks like to be made in the image of God. Could he have created one gender? Yeah, he could have, but he didn't. In his beauty and in his, his just perfect wisdom, he says, I'm going to have two people, two genders that are different from one another, equally valued but different, that best represent who I am. Now, he could have also created many, many genders. And it could have been like a smorgasbord of genders. And we could have chosen what gender we wanted to be at certain ages, okay? But that's not what he did. Within the image of God is built male and female. Now, the second thing we see from this passage is the equality of the value of the two genders. Same, same value, same, um, same, same um, deserving of respect and dignity. Uh, now, there are differences just physically. You <laughs> look at us, there are differences. But both genders have the same value, the same worth. And so when one gender tries to say this gender is more important or this gender deserves more value or is more worthy of whatever than another gender, you're starting to go off a wrong track again. Because that, it, there's nothing in here that says that one gender is worth more or valuable more than the other gender. Okay, they are both connected and it makes up the image of God together. And it's just God's beauty and his design and the way he has done that is, uh, is just awesome. Um, you take immigration, um, a different one, immigration and the refugee crisis, okay? I want to first say that this is primarily a biblical issue. It gets a lot of press, I think, as a political issue, and it is one. But I think it's primarily a biblical issue first and a political issue second. You know, the issues involved in this crisis are really complex. They're really nuanced. Policymakers spend their whole lives talking about these things But what I do know from the scriptures tells us that our first response to the outsider, to the sojourner, to the refugee, should be compassion and justice. They should be treated with dignity and respect. That we should lead with that. And and, and not not fear or judgment or this is mine, it's not yours. And I mean, that shouldn't be our first. Now, that doesn't mean that smart policy should be put into place and all those kinds of things. But we should lead with. Again, we're made in the image of God, as are these folks, wherever they're coming from, and they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Another one, you may not think that this relates directly, but um, the the issue of pornography. Those women and men on those screens are made in the image of God. And so when you use them for your own selfish benefit, you're actually taking something that's made in the image of God and designed and beautiful, deemed by God, and you use them <coughs> for selfish gain. Those men and women deserve dignity and respect. And using them in that way is not showing them dignity and respect. You have Jesus echoing this teaching. When you look at when Jesus teaches on ethics, love your enemy, good Samaritan, turn the other cheek. Those kinds of things. He's, he's basically getting that from this idea of we're all made in the image of God. We're all deserving dignity and respect and worth. 
And, and, and I should mention that the, this is Orphan Sunday, so we also have the orphan crisis. Part of this is seeing, seeing humans flourish. We think that most people agree that the best environment for people, for children to flourish, is a certain environment. There's parents, there's caretakers, there's, there's access to education, there's access to healthy food, there's access to, to shelter, there's access to healthy water. All of those things, we think this is a good environment for a kid to grow up and have, it, have their best chance at living a life and flourishing. And so we want to be about the things that, that puts children in those environments where they're most likely to flourish. And having parents that are watching over them, whether it's permanent and forever or if it's temporary, with foster care, we believe that we have to be about seeing that children are raised in environments where they can flourish and succeed. This is why we're passionate about adoption and foster care. Children deserve this. They can't advocate for themselves. They can't speak for themselves. So somebody has to advocate for them, and that's what I think one of the church's roles should be, is to advocate for um, children who are vulnerable. Now, with all that being said, we can't be people who sit on the sidelines, especially if we're followers of Jesus. After seeing what's going on in the world and seeing the calling that we have in the scriptures, we have to take action. We are called to image God to the world. So the first step is, is, is beginning to, to, to think about how do we do this? And here's the deal. I, I realize that this is a huge, huge calling. Even preparing this week and seeing what, what would go into seeing some of these things go away. I mean, just massive issues with all sorts of messy ways to get involved with this, okay? So it's, it's hard to, to, to think about and it put pressure on yourself. And maybe you're thinking, I can't even get through the day and deal with my junk and my brokenness? How am I supposed to really get my hands dirty in someone else's brokenness when I can't even get through a day myself? And I'm with you. I agree. But there's someone we can look to for help. There's someone we must look to for help, and that's Jesus. We haven't talked about Jesus a lot today, but we're going to get to Jesus here. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. He actually images God perfectly when he came and took the form of a human. John 14 says, when he's talking to his followers, he says, um, if you want to see the Father, look at me. If you want to know what God is like in human form, look at me. I'm God in human form. I'm perfect. This is, I, everything the Father gives me, I do. I obey my Father perfectly, Jesus is saying. And all of us fall short of that. We need help. And I think the first step is coming and, 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 and saying, we need help. I need help for my own soul. I need help for myself. And I'm also going to need help to be able to engage some of these issues. So the first step is, is being humble enough to admit we need a Savior. And it's not a one-time thing we just did many, many years ago, but we need Jesus every single day. And we remember that by grace, through faith in him, we are given a new identity. If you have faith in Jesus, we are given a new identity, an identity as sons and daughters of the King. And God knows we're not going to succeed all the time. And he's there to welcome us in, even when we fail at being good image bearers of God. Even when we're lazy and we don't really care about these issues, and we're more concerned about your world and my world, and I'm with you. But even in those moments, God forgives us. We are his children. We're given this new identity that we can live out of now. And through the same process, through the gospel, we're also given the Holy Spirit. 
in the moment that the Spirit helps us be the kind of people that God's calling us to be. So we don't have to just try really hard and hope we do good. The Spirit that we have inside of us as followers of Jesus helps us move into those spaces and helps us be loving and giving of our time and our resources to see some of these things happen. And maybe most importantly, when you really get into this, is the hope and the future that the gospel gives us. That we know that one day, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, he will come back, he will set up his new heavens and new earth, and all of this junk that we're talking about, all the things that are broken in this world will be, will, will be gone. They will may be made whole again. They will be healed, be in new heavens, in a new earth, where all of us there are imaging God perfectly because there's no sin. All the junk is gone, and we know that's going to happen. He's given us the end of the story, so we should look ahead when we're in the mess, when we're trying to engage these issues, we should look up and get confidence and get power and get encouragement from the way this is all going to end. Because it, it ends well. But we're now in the mess, and he calls us to be image bearers in the mess. So by grace through faith is the way we're brought into a relationship with God. And it's by that same grace that we're able to day by day be involved with these kinds of things. So here's my two questions as we begin to close. As it relates to your worldview and how you view some of the things I mentioned today, how does the image of God affect that world, affect that, your worldview? How's it, how does it affect the way you see some of the things we talked about? Are you getting your, your primary view on these things from the scripture or from a publication, from a TV channel? Where are you getting your primary view on how you view the world and how your mind is formed on these issues? I hope you're getting it from the scriptures. That's number one. How is your mind being formed? Number two, what are we going to do about it? Like you as an individual, what are you going to do about any of these things, about the brokenness you see around you? Part of Orphan Sunday, it's calling us to action. So it's obviously that's included in here, but... There's so much, there's obviously other issues as well that we can be a part of. So I encourage you, the first step you do is, is pray. Is pray. We can all pray. We can all be more aware. I encourage you to, to, to become more educated on some of these things. If you need resources, you need to be pointed in directions where you can learn more, come talk to me or other leaders. Maybe we can help you find avenues in these different areas if something really like struck you as I was talking about things. But here are a few practical things that you can just kind of get in on and, 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 and start this process. Okay, first off, we have, we did it last year. It's, it's, it's be, probably going to become our, the, the large event we do for the city every year. It's our uh, Foster Kids Christmas Party. It's coming up in a few weeks. We did this last year. It was a huge success. Um, we um, engaged the, the, the foster kids and their families by providing uh, gifts and providing a place where they can come and actually shop um, and, and buy stuff to give their foster parents. So the foster parents drop them off here, and we have fun with them, hang out with them, let them shop for their parents, wrap the gifts while their parents are out shopping for them and just kind of getting, getting a break to go do some Christmas stuff. And then they come and pick them up, and they each have gifts for each other. And we get to engage the kids and love them, and we also get to serve and love the parents who have a really, really hard job in, in, uh, in fostering kids and so we need help we need volunteers to pull that off it's a big it's a big deal but it's come for for five hours on one Saturday and and serve and 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 just uh love 
uh, vulnerable kids. Second thing is, <coughs> um, in the last year, we've been connected with this um, kind of initiative called Care Portal. And what this is, Care Portal is um, like created by the DHS, or they're the ones who facilitate it. DHS, as they get needs from foster families, they are able to post needs in this portal, and it gets sent out to churches. And so they're trying to um, expedite getting the needs out to the community about how foster families need help. And the great thing about it, they're, they're realizing they don't have enough help. They need help supporting the foster family, and they think, oh, wow, churches seem to really want to do this. So let's actually give churches the need and let the churches meet the need, rather than DHS trying to meet all the needs. Great plan. So we want to be a part of that. So right now we get emails as a church of different um, things that happen. Sometimes it's, hey, we, uh, we just got a placement. We need a bed. Oh, we need, so use, new, whatever, we need a bed. So church, the, whoever's in charge of that church, they say click, and that's off DHS's plate because the church has said we're going to take care of it. And so all your missional community leaders <laughs> have gotten a, uh, an email in the last week to kind of help um, get that kicked off within missional communities. So we hope missional communities become a place where um, those needs can be met as communities, okay? Um, uh, next, I just want to uh, make, a, make a plea to um, consider fostering and adopting. Um, my wife and I are uh, adoptive parents, and so we have adopted, um, and it's changed our life. We, uh, we're we're um, fans of adoption, and so I think every... I think every person should at least pray about fostering and adopting. I know God's not going to call everyone to do that, but I think just being open and being willing to consider that is really, really important. And so I would encourage you all. Some, some, maybe some of you, God does really want to adopt. And this is the first time maybe a light bulb's going off or something's happening. Please talk to somebody. We have several adoptive families in the church, people who can help you process. I can help you process, think through some of the things. Uh, we have people that have, <coughs> have done foster care. So if that's the direction you want to go, um, we have people that can help you with that as well. And you need to process these things. If the Lord's kind of working in your, your mind and your heart on these things, process with somebody. Um, let somebody help you think through that. And, and my last kind of um, application out of this is if you really are thinking, um, I really want to be involved. I want to be like on the kind of tip of the spear for what Providence Road is doing in this city. We have a For the City team. And, and Blake leads that, and Blake's always looking for people to, to, to come onto that team, maybe with different gifts or different passions. And so if you are like, I want to, I have this passion, and I want to help the church move in this direction, so a little bit of a leadership role, then please come find me, go talk to Blake, and he will have a conversation with you and maybe help you find a space within that For the City team where we really could use some help. Um, so again, how is the gospel, how is the image of God, this idea being, how is it shaping you? And what are we going to do about it as followers of Jesus? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you make sense of these desires that many of us have to take care of the broken and the vulnerable, the marginalized. I thank you, you, you hardwired that into us when you created us. You give us clarity, and it's not just a, a, to, to be nice people or have, get warm, fuzzy feelings for helping other people, um, but it's grounded in the fact that we are image bearers, and when other image bearers are broken and struggling and hurting and don't have the same access to the things that will uh, create um, lives that can flourish, that we want to step into those spaces. 
We want to be the people, be the hands and feet of you. And we thank you, you've called us to that and, and, and you're clear about it. And now I pray that you would give us broken, weary, tired sinners that don't deserve your grace and mercy, but you've shown it to us. We pray that you would remind us of the grace you've given us in Jesus. That through your spirit, we would um, be empowered to image you to the rest of the world, to be your hands and feet. Where it requires to get messy and dirty, we're, we're willing to get messy and dirty. Because we have a great God and a great Savior, and we want that to be the reason and the motivation for why we do what we do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to move, now move into a time of communion take the Lord's Supper together. Here are a few things I want you to be thinking about as you, um, before you come forward or go to the back and as we give you space to process. Um, I want us to fix our eyes back on Jesus. And just remembering that all these things he's calling us into, he, he's experienced. Jesus became poor for our sake. He was beaten. He was lynched for our sake. He was treated like a slave for our sake. He had his rights taken away from him. He was a prisoner. He had no voice in that moment. He gave up his voice so that he, made, he could die for undeserving people like us. That was our Savior. And he was perfect. He represented God perfectly, imaged God perfectly, and that's how he was treated. If anyone was ever deserving of not being treated that way, it was Jesus. And he willingly went through all of those things to bring wayward children back to God. So I want you to remember the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done for um, sinners. And then second of all, I want you to think about, just be aware of, of anything that I've mentioned today. Is God calling you into a specific area? or place to really um, be his hands and feet. And don't ignore that. Just find somebody and process that with them. But maybe use this time for clarity and just be asking, how, how am I wired? Where am I gifted? How am I, how, what passions has God given me? And maybe he'll give you some clarity in, in these moments. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I hope that um, you were able to um, see this truth that, we were made in the image of God and that we're all broken image bearers of God. And the only way to be reconciled back to God is through Jesus. And that he took the penalty that we rightly deserve. And the wrath of God that is, was, was, was headed for us, Jesus took. And the way to be reconciled back to God is through grace and having faith in who Jesus was and what he did. So if you're feeling that this morning, if you're feeling that and, you're, and you're, 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 something's going on inside of you and you think you are having faith and, and you, 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 God may be saving you this morning. So if that's you and you feel like something is happening inside of you, come forward or go to the back and take communion. And please tell somebody, come talk to me. If you feel God doing something, um, even if you can't put words to it, please talk to somebody about it. 
And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and, and you just need space to think about some of this stuff, maybe you want to talk about it, that's great. This, we want this to be a safe place for you. Find, find me afterwards and let me take you to coffee or lunch and let's talk more. Let's process some of these things. These are very, very meaning of life important things and they should be talked about. And we'd love to talk to you about those things. But if that's you and you're like, ah, I'm not this whole faith thing and Jesus following Jesus thing, not right now, then we just invite you to stay where you're seated. Um, communion in the Lord's Supper is for people who have a professed faith in Jesus and are followers of Jesus. So take a few minutes, think, reflect, pray, and come to the front or head to the back whenever you're ready.